Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Charlie Crow spent 12 or 14 years banging on his guitar in Brooks and Dunn. He then left, and now he's back, spending weeks at a time in Vegas playing with Brooks and Dunn and Reba. But there's a lot more to him than that. We've been friends and co-writers for years. Charlie gave me the much-envied title, Guitar Holder. I'm pretty sure that's not a compliment. Here's Charlie Crow. Stop laughing. All right. Charlie Crow in the house. What's happening? Bart Allman, it's so great to see you. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Yes, you are. uh, It's Everything's good. Summertime and my kids are... Are they getting ready to go back to school? (laughs) I've almost got them launched. Uh, (laughs) Get back to me. Exactly. Well, you know what? Now everybody's needs. good, and, and uh, I'm working probably more than I ever have, and that's uh, is that good? That's a uh, that's really good in uh, today's climate. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Mostly uh, doing hand modeling. Is that right? A lot of hand modeling. Yes. <sighs> hand and you know, underwear. Somebody, you know, <laughs> Gloves and underwear. A little darker areas. I don't think I should talk about. But. <laughs> Your wife didn't want you mentioning. Yeah. So much. Well, dude, you were born, I think, in Lexington, Kentucky. Correct. correct. Yes. What was your childhood like? Kids, brothers, sisters? <sighs> My childhood was great. You know, yeah. Uh, I had a brother, uh, younger brother, two years younger than me. Yeah. Born in the six. I was born in 1960, so I got to grow up in the. I, I, I missed the Beatles. I wasn't old enough to. Yeah. You know, it seemed like I'm the only one that didn't see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan's show, I guess. Right. <laughs> You're also the only one that wasn't at yeah. Woodstock. Exactly. But yeah, as we I grew up in a in a new suburb, close to a new school and and uh in these um twelve hundred square foot tract houses and, and yeah. they not tract houses, but everybody had a quarter acre and a and a in a new house and sidewalks and walked to school and uh yeah, man. And, and uh, I, I just I remember it being, you know, just pretty non-eventful. Went outside and played, climbed yeah. trees. Dude, don't you remember the summer times? You leave the house at 9 o'clock and come home at 6 in the afternoon, and oh, mom yeah. and dad wouldn't even ask where you were. No. Or you were in shouting distance from them, you yeah. know. And, and, uh, but, yeah, that's all. You, if you wanted to entertain yourself, <laughs> you had to go outside. Well, how did you uh, – musical family? How did you start playing guitar? No, not really. Um because I've seen the early pictures, and <laughs> they're good. Uh, the I, my exposure to the guitar came, I guess, around the, the mid to late '60s, when um, everybody had a variety show. Glenn Campbell yep. had one, and Johnny Cash had one, and Roger Miller, Roger Miller, Jerry Reed. I got exposed to my, and plus that my dad was the Johnny Cash guy and my mom was more credence clearwater revival so i had both of the rock and uh and country stuff going on in the house and then i you know uh then you'd see him on tv and the guitar just the way it looked fascinated me Dude. i mean hee-haw porter wagner you know, was, yeah. you know those those shows as well as the you know tom jones had a show yeah and then 
Credence would be on those shows. Eric Clapton would be on those shows. And I got exposed to all all that country and rock, you know, by that little sweet spot in the sixties and early seventies. You know. <laughs> and the most devast one of the most devastating guitar players ever being Roy Clark, mm-hmm. sitting there in his overalls playing Oh yeah. Hillbilly stuff and just shredding. What's been fun lately is all that stuff uh, is on YouTube now. Oh yeah. And I mean I remember vividly Roy Clark doing his funny and you know amazing version of False Prison Blues. Oh yeah. And uh and that that just I think that's that really struck me at, at an early age of of what it's like to be an entertainer. Yeah. As well as a musician. Yeah. Cuz he was funny and a great player. <laughs> and and I was starting to take guitar lessons around that time. Uh, just you know, I was ten and learning the chords. What was your first guitar? Uh, Tisco Del Rey <laughs> electric. <laughs> and then uh, we got we got some. Um, the guitar teacher didn't want to teach on electric. He wanted us to sure you know, do acoustic. So mom and dad bought us bought my brother and I. Uh, Aria Pro Twos nice. or Aria? They weren't Pro Twos. They were okay. Aria guitars and uh, a twelve string and a six string. And my brother lost interest, and I kept going for a while. You know, and then I lost he lost interest. interest and <laughs> you and had suddenly yeah. had two guitars. Yeah, dang. But yeah, that was kind of you know the broad strokes of the sixties and early seventies as far as me being exposed to to guitar playing yeah. and and the guitar. How'd you start writing? I didn't really start writing until I was in my twenties, just because I, I, you know, you, you you get good by playing cover songs yeah. all the time, and then, well, if you want to take it to the next level, you better start writing. Well, I've, I've told this story before, but it's like when I was growing up, I'd look at a Van Halen record, all songs written by Van Halen, all mm-hmm. songs written by ZZ Top, all songs written by yeah. Deep Purple. I didn't know I could write songs unless I was in the band. Yeah, that was always no idea. confusing to me too. You know, it's well that because when you know when you're 18 and 19 and starting to get kind of good, and you yeah. want you want to you know do the get your buddies together, form a band and move to LA and everybody's yeah. going to split the money. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> cause that's the way you think, I mean, you just figured that's the way it rolled yeah. back then. But, you know, especially if you didn't. read guitar player that, well, that's how Van Halen did it. Yeah. You know, or whoever. But as far as I, I'll tell you the first time I really became aware of songwriting, it was, um, when, uh, the band I had, I had a band called Charlie's garage in Lexington in my 20s, and we won, well, we didn't win, but we uh, we got to compete in this kind of a battle of the bands type of thing that the local radio station sponsored, and uh, and everybody competed at this uh, venue called Breedings, and Breedings was a, you know, probably the only venue in town that, that uh, had... You know, top entertainment people from like Ray Charles and and uh, oh, yeah. Doc Severinsen, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. You know, all these acts that toured in gig places, but they weren't you know they weren't big enough to pack an arena. But they yeah. were well known, and you could pack a four hundred seat you know nice club with it. But because we competed, I got to meet uh, you know the the people that ran the place, and and uh, we kind of got free reign you know to go in there and. Uh, watch these acts, and then at the time, Exile 
was transitioning from a rock band into a country band. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to have some success at radio. And I saw J.P. Pennington pull up mm-hmm. in a red Corvette. And, uh, and I saw another band member pull up in a just a white van. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I was talking to the owner of the club, uh, Doug Breeding, and uh, he goes, well, J.P. just, you know, he wrote a couple of Alabama songs, and, you know, he's a songwriter. And uh, just and that guy isn't. <laughs> so that was an eye-opening experience, you know. Yeah. So, oh, so the you know the real money's in the songwriting. Yeah, you know that's how you keep your band afloat. You know, you songwriting money a lot of times. Yeah. Mm. Well, didn't you uh, play with uh, John Michael Montgomery? I did. What was that like? Was that like that your was, first? That would have been your first like big time professional gig. That was right? my break. It really yeah. was. I I had come down. Did you move to come, Nashville? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Had you already been in Nashville? Or were you I still was up? coming down to try to be a songwriter. Okay. And I was failing. You know, I was failing miserably. Dude. You know, uh, you know, I'd get close and I'd get some co-writes and and uh, and I I had a guy, uh, a former Oak Ridge boy who was. Um, managing uh, Lionel Cartwright at the time, and he was trying to get back into publishing. He ran the Oaks Publishing Company for years. Noel Fox was his name. And he was trying to help me out, and uh, it just wasn't coming together. And I, I, it was, you know, getting crunch time as far as me, you know, generating an income. And uh, John, at the time, was just starting to release his record in, in uh and going to have to go out and play some shows. And, mm-hmm. and I knew John from the bars. I just called him up and said, let's go play some golf. And uh, I got him out on the golf course. I said, dude, <laughs> give, me a, give me a chance to put your band together, you know. And he's like, I don't know, man. They're wanting to put Nashville players with me. And sure. I said, I get that. I said, just give me a shot. I'll put a band together for you. Just, let, just give me a shot to audition, you know. And, if we, you know, if it doesn't fly, you know, we'll wish you the best. Yeah. So... He gave me that chance, and then we we beat out the Nashville guys because we were a unit. We came down there as a unit. Oh yeah, and so we went on this roller coaster ride with him uh, when he released "Life's to Dance." We we were gone for two hundred eighty days and played two hundred shows. And some of those shows were with Reba and Brooks and Dunn at the time, and that's how I met okay you know, those guys. And you know, all connected. Yeah. <laughs> Dang man! But it was wild, man. It was uh, all of a sudden. I'd I'd given my wife and even my parents, you know, I said, look, if I don't have a gig in the music business within a year, I'll give it up. You yeah. Because I had a job at a public television station. I worked there with my wife, and, and I was able to get a leave of absence for one year. You know, I could have my job back. <laughs> and so you I took, had a plan B. <laughs> and, you, and you took 280 days yeah. and got on a bus. But I was coming down to crunch time. I was it was like nine months, ten months, you know, and I didn't have anything going on. Mm. And that's when I, um, you know, hit up John, and and then within within two weeks of my year deadline, I was on Crook and Chase with John Mike. Dang. You know, and I was off to the races. It, I worked for fourteen years straight, starting that that day. You know, just gigging and gigging. You know, two years with John or about that, and then. 12 of Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, uh, not to go backwards, but Eddie... Oh, we're going to go back and forth. And <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll do callbacks. So, Eddie Montgomery... Yeah. ...is John's brother. 
and was his tour manager. Is that right? No, he was. No, <laughs> he was out there. He, uh, um, he, he had his job titles were kind of loose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Eddie uh, took care of the merchandise. Okay, we, we were all crammed on that bus, and we had the back lounge, the stateroom. You know, sure. was a storage room for yeah. boxes and boxes of t-shirts. But Eddie took care of that, and uh, and. And uh, security. Security. You know, so it was merchant security, as uh, Eddie was. He kept an eye on the whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we drank a silo of Jim Beam, I think. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I was not aware yeah. that whiskey came in a so, silo. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up, um, I met the Montgomery Brothers probably in 1987, and they were the house band at Austin City Saloon. And um, and I just became friends with them, and through in and uh, by going out there, they had jam nights all the time, and and that's where I met Troy Gentry and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a lot of other musicians who would end up playing with Montgomery Gentry or uh, and and John Michael, and uh, it was a it was a good little breeding ground. There. Man, no kidding. Yeah, I guess Eddie's still out there by himself <clears throat> now, huh? Yeah, he's they're carrying on the Montgomery Gentry band yeah. and and you know honoring Troy. Yeah, absolutely. At, yeah, that's uh, a weird deal. Of course. Yeah, I'm still. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, man. It's still hard to talk out. about, uh, but it's it's one of those. It's just life, man. You know, yeah, I, it's it's weird to see him. You know, with Facebook, you're reminded that you know. Yeah. In one way or another, that he's gone. Yeah. You know, and and uh, and it's just it's just sad. Mm. So anyway, we'll get, go to happier times. Uh, Twelve years with Brooks and Dunn, the first time. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I mean, you guys um, were the biggest thing in the world, man. It was I almost blew it because I was John Michael's band leader, right? And we had just finished out the year, you know, the two hundred and eighty days, and you know, and uh, and I was rich. I had made thirty five thousand dollars that year. And uh, and I was on top of I was just uh, <laughs> so I'm so now you're thinking about that Corvette, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm driving. I'm back home. I don't have any gigs. I'm going Christmas shopping for once with money. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, my brother and I went on went halvesies on a TV for our father. I think it was like a you know flat screens weren't out yet, but it was like a big 36 inch, and I think it cost us seven hundred dollars or something like yeah. that. And, you know. So I was just getting, just really high fiving myself that I'd pulled off getting a gig in the music business, you know. And I was John Michael's band leader, and he was going, he was on fire. You know, he just released "I Swear," oh, man. and uh, and we had a drummer that was, you know, he'd had enough, and I had to replace him, and a steel player that needed to be added, and uh, and and my phone was ringing, and everything was cool, and then Clarence. Um, Spalding. Spalding. We'll talk about him in a little bit more later. But he was uh, he was managing Brooks and Dunn, and he has called me and said, uh, um, "Brooks and Dunn's looking for a guitar player." You know, I threw your name in the hat to audition, and and I was like, "Man, I don't know. I've got a <laughs> I got a good gig with John Michael, and you know, was Clarence on, John Michael's manager? No, Clarence okay. is Brooks and Dunn's manager. Okay, but you've been on the road with them. Yeah, yeah, and, and we yeah, but through the Brooks and Dunn had. They were the middle act okay. on the Reba tour right, at right, that right, time, right, right. and 
they got huge where they left the Reba tour and started headlining and John got bumped up to the middle slot and acts like Tracy bird and, and a few other, uh, newer acts at that time, you know, took the, the 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just told Clarence, I said, man, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really needing to help John, you know, fix some things before we get busy next year. And, you know, he's like, that's cool. And you got a great gig. I says, but, you know, they're, they're looking for a guitar player and they, they, your name, I threw your name in the hat and they've seen you play. They like you and blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's cool. And, and, uh, and I said, let me think about it. And I called him back the next day. I said, I've thought about it. I'm going to stay with John. I think it's the right thing to do. And he goes, I get it. And, you know, good luck to you. And then uh, that same day, or later on that day, uh, Charlie Anderson, who was the bass player for Reba, uh, called me. And apparently the band leader for Brooks and Dunn called Charlie, who we call Chopper, um, and said, man, this is, uh, Charlie's not going to audition. You know, and I said, I think he's missing out, you know, and, and Charlie told Danny, he said, I'll, uh, I'll talk to him. I says, I don't, I, <clears throat> I don't think he understands what, you know, how things work. So, <laughs> so Charlie, Charlie Chopper, uh, called me and basically shamed me into auditioning. You know, no, he just, <laughs> I was good. I was, you know, I was a rookie. I was just, you know, it was the first band I'd ever played in, you know, that had a record deal yeah. you know, or, and, and it was I was, you know, I had a lot of playing experience, but I had no experience on on road life and touring life and how things really work. And and uh, but Charlie, he he pretty much just said, I said, dude, I said John's about two years from headlining. I says Brooks and Dunn's now. getting ready to headline yeah. now, and these opportunities rarely, rarely come yeah. along. And I said, well, what if I t- what if I audition and I don't get the gig, and it gets back to John right. that I audition? He goes, don't worry about it. I said, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and uh, like and, saying it's not going to happen, as in we're pretty sure you're getting. Well, later ready. on, I was I was told that I was the guy. Okay, but they had to go through the, the process. The process because yeah. other guys in the band had buddies they wanted to audition sure. and everything. Right, but they'd seen me play with John and said, "I, I think I think this guy would fit in with us." But I didn't your, know that at the they time. They liked your tasty licks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so crazy talented. <laughs> But I was just freaking out going, I said, I, it took me, you know, 12 years to get this gig. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, you know, I'd like to hang on to it. You know, I've, this is a sure thing. Brooks and yeah. I don't know any of these guys. You know, I, I mean, I barely knew them. I just, I, we just say, you know, what's up in the hallway? You know, that's right. about as far as it went. You guys are tall. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were very tall. I was really surprised how tall Kicks was because I thought he was, uh, more my height, right. and, uh, <laughs> but he's just he's not, Ronnie's just really tall, and Kix yeah. is tall. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're. Um, but anyway, I was just going. Uh, Chopper was just saying, "Look, says artists are crazy. You know, you never know when they're. Gonna, <laughs> you never know when they're going to let their whole band go." Says this whole thing. Says this is. I said, I, I, they had called me. To leave Reba's gig to come audition, I would audition for him. You know, yeah, he was just saying this. This is a this is a good deal for you. He basically just said, "Come on." He taught me into doing it, and I'm so glad he did. But I went when I drove down. I was still living in Kentucky, and I packed up my gear and drove down 
to Nashville to audition, and I I was beyond prepared. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know, because I'd really gotten entrenched with the John Michael thing, and just, you know, I from the ground up, it was really a special thing to see a, a brand oh, man, new artist, yeah. you know, explode. And they were and, your brothers in that band. Yeah, yeah. and, I, you know, there was some family, you know, element there, and... Uh, so what 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 is the process the audition process I mean well I was for mine I was told to learn um my next broken heart she used to be mine and um oh god there's one other one burn that bridge okay you know and um two uh, two of which had those Brent Mason you know hard you know Complicated uh, yeah. solos, and uh, and I really had to woodshed on those. And then she used to be mine, had more of a you know soaring ballad power, you know, type of lead. So, so you're going into this process, and you are playing note for note solos, and you're trying to nail the tone as close as you can. Correct? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, and there was I was the last guy that auditioned, or maybe next to the last, but it was. It was the old NCS place over on uh, National Cartage and Sound. You remember that? Oh place? yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a small room, and I, I walked in. There's Kicks and Ronnie on the, you know, on the stools, and and uh, and one of, one of the things that first hit me is is uh, Ronnie Dunn's vocal. I just you know, you know, I'd taken him for granted on the radio. I was he was just part of the. You know, part of all the noise at the yeah. time, and uh, I just knew he was good. And but when you're in a live situation, and you know, and he's he starts singing, "She used to be mine." I'm like going, "Oh Man. my god!" Yeah, I can listen uh, to this for the yeah. next twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, it was a little startling at first because um, at the time, you know, when I started playing with them, they didn't have enough belt packs. Uh, that first run or something, oh, you know, and I had I basically shared Ronnie's mix. Oh wow! And so it was a lot of him. Wow. <laughs> Where's the and, more me button? Yeah, and he liked guitar. He had me in there, so if I you know screwed up, he was going to hear it. But yeah, that's uh, three songs, and I think they auditioned six guys. And uh, so were there just like five other guys in the hallway with pedal boards and combos oh, and guitars yeah, it's the and most uncomfortable thing it's, i guess I, I hear acting you know auditions you know when actors go into audition it's similar it's just, right they don't have no gear <laughs> <laughs> they're all wrestling yeah so sheets. But, but yeah it's it's nerve it's the most nerve-wracking I've only, that's the only time i've ever auditioned yeah, I've never, I mean, I've never been in a band like that, of course, but yeah. I've never auditioned. I have no idea what that process must be like. It, no. Even lo- even the local bands, I mean, I was just either hired and kept or, you know, or right. wasn't hired, you know, yeah. and, or, or asked to join, you know, but an, an actual bona fide audition, you know, is, uh, yeah, it was nerve wracking. And, mm. uh, and yeah, you know, I got the get. I actually got in my car and I had, a, I had one of the, one of the first cell phones, you know, at that time, it was 93. About as and big was, as a shoebox. You know, it had a coil attached to it. You know, it was, but I got I got the call before I got home that I got wow. a gig. And it was it was uh, off to the races. Dang. Yeah. 
you went home and said, I love you. Mm-hmm. We're back. <laughs> Did you guys move to Nashville at that point? Well, what had happened, I mean, um, I remember Kim uh, telling me that when she found out that Brooks and Dunn was going to be playing half the amount of dates that John Michael did that year. She was like, you've got to get that gig. <laughs> you've got to go for it and get the gig. Says, I don't think I can, I don't think our marriage could handle you yeah, being gone that long again. Yeah. So, but what happened, we did a, um, I started, the first thing we did with Brooks and Dunn was, uh, was go out to the American Music Awards. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm in the same building with, Whitney Houston and, and Meat Loaf and, and uh, Rod Stewart, Gene Simmons, Cindy Lauper, all these Sheesh. rock people that not six or seven years before I was watching, you know, on yeah. MTV and, and, uh, and I got to see Rod Stewart do Maggie May and, and Soundcheck and uh, and even Whitney Houston came out and did her her deal. She had like a flannel shirt on and sunglasses and and uh, still and just killed it, yeah. you know. So I got I'm immediately in this world, and then we go to Hawaii, and uh, and and play a couple of gigs out there, and uh, and then we flew to uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and we sent the wives home back to Nashville, and we got on the buses and started gigging, and then it looked pretty. After a couple of months, it looked pretty. Um, it looked like I was going to be there for a while. You know, it felt good, and. Uh, and Kim, you know, she gave notice at her job, and, and we signed a six month lease on a on an apartment and started looking for a house. And uh, you know, by the end of '94, we were living in Nashville. Hmm. And uh, still glad we did it. You yeah, know? yeah. Because it's it's we were just talking about that the other day. It's really it's really hard to leave behind what you know, dude. You know, and you know, I know. I think we've talked about that too. Yeah, absolutely. You got to do it when you're young. You got to do it when you're young. You don't have kids. Yep. And um, and it is uncomfortable as hell. You oh know? man, it is just you don't know. It's like oh, I'm I've lost my mind. Yeah. You know. Hey, let's move to a town where we don't know anybody. And yeah. by the way, yeah. honey, I'm going to be gone a couple hundred days a year. Yeah. It says, but don't worry, it's a really stable industry. It's right. called the music business, <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to get more stable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's But yeah, I was thirty four and she was twenty eight. So it was a really it was the perfect time to do it. We would we'd been married a few years but didn't have kids. Yeah. And and all that stuff can definitely, you know, impede growth, you know, in, in the in your career. You know. And probably necessarily. Yeah. You know, I mean it's mm-hmm. like you gotta gotta make sure food yeah. on the table and shoes on them feet, but yeah. yeah. But still, yeah. <laughs> so you were there for twelve years. Yeah. You had had enough, you walked away, and you started... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, I was starting... <clears throat> the reason I'd had enough is because I started... Uh, like I, I told you before, I came to town initially to try and be a songwriter. Right. I'd kind of given up the pipe dream of, you know, being shirtless on a hilltop with my mane, you know... <laughs> You know, flowing in the air, you know, during a guitar solo and and, and being on a video and and, and uh, being although on a that band, can happen today, know, it's like yeah, um, you know, I was going to go out and be in a band like White Snake, yeah. <laughs> so I'd given up on that, and I really, I really just dove into the craft of songwriting. I could just ate up everything I could find out about it. I really yeah. listened to songs, 
I was really listening to, uh, you know, Winona had her first solo out, album out, at, you know, around the time I started coming to town. God, you know, that was and, a great and, record. Uh, Dave Loggins had uh, written She Is His Only Need. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good Lord. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and Trisha Yearwood had her first record out there, and she had, you know, a uh, just a ton of you know, a ton of great writing was just really evident, you know, on, on a lot of those early nineties. Oh man, those Hugh Prestwood songs and stuff. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, man. Yeah, the song "Remembers When." Yeah, oh, Lord, you know. So I was, was "Walk Away, Joe." Yeah, that was really being, you know, um, I was just really taken with, yeah, with the song qualities and just the craft and and the songwriters. I said, like, "Who are these people?" You know. I was just eat up with it. And when I got with Brooks and Dunn, about the set, the very time, I, the very year I got with Brooks and Dunn, Noel Fox had taken over um, uh, running Alabama's publishing company, oh, yeah. Maypop. Yeah. And uh, and he called me to, he's, he knew I got in the Brooks and Dunn gig and I'd been, you know, put the writing on hold and went out and, was a guitar player again, and, and uh, he called me and told me he was running a Maypop thing, and he goes, hey, you're in the same breathing space as Ronnie Dunn and Kex Brooks. I think we might be able to get you a writing deal. Yeah. So he signed me to a publishing deal for two years, and I started, I had the best of both worlds. I was going out on the weekends with Burston Dunn, and I was coming home and going into Maypop and writing with John Jarvis and, and some other, you know, hit songwriters. Yeah. And, uh, but it wasn't... You know, two years of that, a lot of it was, you know, the songs I wrote, they wanted me to pitch to Brooks and Dunn, you know, sure. or, and I, and I was, <clears throat> I was not able to, to, to really, you know, dig in like these guys, these guys are, you know, every day, 10 o'clock, yeah. they're writing something and I'm not, I like writing, but I didn't like writing like that. Yeah. And, um, so after two years of that, um, I didn't get renewed, and I just kind of uh, had to put the songwriting dream on hold again. But I was still doing it, and uh, so around two, four years after I lost my publishing company or publishing deal, uh, two thousand it was around two thousand. Um, I wrote this song. Uh, it's kind of a ZZ Topish type of thing, and uh, it was called "See Jane Dance," and. And right around the time I, I wrote that song, it was by myself. I wrote it by myself. Um, Pro Tools had, had come out with a, a more of a pedestrian version of their recording software. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, if you had a good powered Mac, you know, for an extra grand, you could get into Pro Tools. World. Right. So uh, Jeff Kersey, who was a tech out on the road with us, he was an early adopter of Pro Tools, and he came. He hooked me up and got my my rig up and running. So I did a, my first demo was of that song I wrote, and I programmed the drum machine, and I played the bass on it, and I played the guitars on it, and I sang it, and I burnt the <laughs> CD of it, you know. And, and uh, <coughs> so we're out on the road, and Ronnie and uh, Terry McBride was out with us, and he was writing a lot with Ronnie back then, writing a lot of hits. Yeah. And uh, he just happened to come off the bus and see me sitting at the pool. At one of the tables, mm-hmm. you know, and I had my little Walkman CD player and these blank CDs. I was listening, you know, to to the song that I just demoed. And uh, Ronnie goes, uh, 
what you what you listening to? And I says, I'm listening to a song I wrote. <laughs> and he goes, what's it called? And I went, See Jane Dance. He went, oh my God, that's a great title. I want to hear it. And uh, he put the headphones on and just dug the shit out of it yeah. and said, this is, Kix is going to cut this song. And, um, and for the six, next six months, I kept hearing, I, you know, your song is going to get cut. Your song is going to get cut. It's going to be a single. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and then... Then it turned into, it's going to be a bonus cut on all the CDs that are going to be sold at Walmart. Right. You know? and I'm like, Whatever. I got a Brooks and Dunn cut. Yeah, absolutely. Please. And Kicks called me, it was, um, it was around June or July when I wrote the song and demoed it. And then at the end of the year, Kicks called and said, Merry Christmas. Says, We're cutting your song. It's going to be on all of the CDs. Oh, cool. And, um, and uh, Bob Titley, the manager at the time, co-manager, you know, he said, uh, we were at some event, and he goes, "We got really big plans for your song." I was "All right, it's going to be a single," but it never did become a single. And um, but I, I started, I started making some because I owned the publishing, and uh, and I was the sole writer on it. You know, they were still selling a couple million records. Shoot, yeah, man. So I got, I got a big payday off of that, and um, and then we went to tour. The next tour, we uh, had Chris Cagle as a new artist uh, out with us, on part of the Neon Circus. And um, we ended up hooking together up in a day off in Canada, just a lark. And we wrote Chicks Dig It in two hours. Mm-hmm. And I forgot about it. Nine months later, he calls me and said, hey, we're cutting song. It's going to be a summer smash. And I went, oh, cool. You know, I, you know I'm starting to. Shit, yeah, man. You know, until I hear it on the radio, I'm not yeah. going to. Uh, so, uh, but sure enough, the record company started calling, wanting publishing information, and um, and I, I had a couple friends at, at Capital, and uh, Regina Stevie worked there, and she was a buddy, and she she called me and said, "You got the next single, That's congratulations!" Awesome. And uh, and then um, at the CMAs at a rehearsal, I was messing around with a riff, and Ronnie Dunn turned around and said, "I want that riff." And uh, I said, all right. So next thing you know, I've co-written a song with Ronnie Dunn, and he's going to put it on the next album. Mm-hmm. So I've within less than two years, I've landed three major cuts, and, and I started to make some really, really good money. And I was coming at the end of 12 years. Uh, uh, we were starting to have kids. <laughs> and uh, and it, was just start, it was starting to be hard uh I was just, I don't know, at the time, it's, it's weird. There was a lot of things going on in my head. But I said, you know what? I think the smart thing to do is get off the road. This yeah. is my ticket off the road. Right. You know, I'm a songwriter now. It's obvious that I've, I've finally figured it out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two Brooks and Dunn cuts and uh, a, a Chris Cagle single, and it was a smash. Uh, in 2003, and got a BMI award for it for one of the most 50 played songs. You've been that. You've been to that dance a couple of times. Yeah. And I was just on top of the world. I was just, man, I'm more successful as a songwriter than I am as a guitar player. Sure. You know? So uh, and I, I don't have to, to leave home. Yeah, I'm going to leave. Uh, I'm going to leave this this comfort zone that I've had for the last 12 years, and uh, and and just try it as a songwriter. So. Little did I know that the music business was going to implode on itself around that time. You know, that was around the time Napster was in the news, yep. and and uh, 
and you know you're, you're kind of in an isolated bubble out there. You know, you kind of know what's going on, but the, you know, you, in, in a way, you really don't. You know? Well, especially when you're with one of the biggest acts in the format. Yeah, it's you know, so. like this. This train is going to roll this on will forever. Never end. This will never end. It's going to last forever. <laughs> so, so, so now I'm a songwriter, and um, I'm I call it Jody Williams, and and, uh, and I said, man, I'm going to. I want to be a songwriter full time, so I need a publishing deal. And he goes, "Oh, I can get you a publishing deal in the blink of an eye." And he starts setting up a lot of meetings, and I go to a lot of meetings and play my stuff and talk and do the thing, and you know, no bites. And then just then you start kind of, you know, you start seeing reading about um, jobs getting cut and the record labels and the publishing companies letting go of writers and and successful songwriters way more successful than me. We're not getting renewed or not being able. Yeah. And then the recession hit in yeah. 2008 and the hurricanes. So I picked a, I, <laughs> I picked a, a, the, I picked the best time to get into Nashville, you know, as a touring musician, right. you know, and the worst time to leave it. <laughs> 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 so, so that's kind of, you know, um, that's why. That's kind of why I walked away from Brooks and Dunn. You know, but you then. also are. I mean, you did a bunch of instrumental stuff, weren't you? In a contest, a guitar player or a guitar world con- instrumental contest that you won a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and, well, that was one of my hobbies. You know, uh, was recording and writing instrumental yeah. music. You know, during my time with Brooks and Dunn, I actually had a a Carvin endorsement, right? And I recorded a you know a record of it was like half instrumental and half vocals. And um, and had a deal with Carvin and, and you know uh, and sold my CD through their catalog. Yeah. And then later on, um, I remember I seeing it was you. 2010. Pick- they had a they had a guitar player. It was the Guitar Player Superstar Contest. Okay. And it was like you had to submit a video of you playing an original instrumental. Yeah. You know and and. Uh, I got to, I got picked and went up to, got flown to Livermore, California, and and uh, it was a big to do. The Shit, yeah. uh, Elliot Easton and George Lynch and Gary, Gary Hoey and um, Reeves Gabriels oh, man. were the ju- were the judges, and uh, and they were all very kind to me. You know, <laughs> very 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 nice. But I, I won third. There was a, 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 a the second the guy won second was. Was this kid that played an eight string electric guitar? And yeah, it was insane. And then the, the guy that won it deserved to win it. He was he was kind of like a, an Adrian Leg acoustic type of guy. Either of those guys still around? You think? Uh, no, no, no. But I did learn a lot about myself and that almost subculture of real you know guitar geeks. You yeah, know, the, the, the hardcore uh, instrumental uh, people. It's it's. Um, it was. It's really. It's really. Uh, it was really good for me to push myself, you know, as a musician and as a guitar player to to, to get into that world and to write instrumental music and. Uh, but, but it's, man, there's just it, to to make it your your thing and to go out and, and compete with guys like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai. Oh man, and that there's just so much. They've got so much of an infrastructure, and plus, you know, they're. They're just phenomenal, you know, and, yeah. and there's there's a limit to what I can do, <laughs> and and I don't. Absolutely. And plus, and, and I, I think after doing that, I became I just like oh, you know what I've done this. I think I want to get back to 
real songs with vocals and, yeah. and, and good lyrics and stuff like that. But I went through a phase where I just, you know, I wanted to be Eric Johnson. I wanted to be Joe Satriani because I sincerely enjoyed listening to that music and, Absolutely. and playing it and, and watching them play it. Watching then, Eric Johnson on Austin City oh, Limits dude. back in the day, it changed my life. But then you realize Tony McAlpine is making a living playing for 50 people at a music store <laughs> clinic and he's driving 600 miles between each gig and uh-huh. he's freaking Tony McAlpine. You yeah. just go, oh. <laughs> I do not want to do this. Yeah, yeah that's and, hard, man. Yeah, and it's um, and country country music fans, I think, uh, definitely appreciate you a lot more than guitar fans. Well, but that was also, I mean, <laughs> you and I are so close in age. That was before GIT in these places where you could mm-hmm. go learn how to play that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm my wife, Amy, always. You know, it's like, what's your biggest regret? And I go, <laughs> besides marrying you. No, <laughs> no. Sweet this up for me, tits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, I'm so jealous of these kids because, I mean, she's got me just remembering all sorts of things. My brother and I, if I wanted to learn how to play Eruption, we would mm-hmm. put the album on, put the tone arm down, and then load the tone arm up with nickels and dimes till it slowed it down mm-hmm. an octave, till I could almost start to figure out what was going on. And now with YouTube, every six year old in the world knows yeah. how to play Eruption better than Eddie can. And I was yeah, like, that's, but, that's but sort but of at the technology. same time that because I think because of. The, the accessibility to all that stuff now it's not as special no absolutely it's not as special absolutely. as it used to be when mm-hmm. you know I, I mean, when you heard eruption in 1978 Dude. it was like i guess this is the way people 10 years younger than us felt when they saw jimmy page or jimmy hendrix yeah yeah but eddie's tone and what he was able to do with the tapping and thing you know and when, you're, when you're a kid i mean it's like you know guitars you know when i first started out and even into my 20s and, and into my 30s it's it's like a sport yeah you know it's like you got to practice yeah and you want to achieve you know you know a certain level of uh of ability you know to, yeah. to do that stuff but you know and then you finally grow up a little bit and you know you know being able to to do the flight of the bumblebees is not going to serve this, this song very well sure. right now. Sure, I mean, Steve uh, Steve Earl, sweet mm-hmm. sweethearted angel that he is. Mm-hmm. My favorite quote of his is, "There's no money above the fifth fret." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard Chad Atkins was that way too. You know, he was like, "Now you're up there playing, and there's no money up in there. Right. <laughs> Just get down where the money is." Those you know, uh, Jeffrey Steele was in still in L.A. when Eddie and Van Halen was coming out. And That's they right. said, boy, when, howdy. When, yes, boy, howdy. Mm-hmm. And he said when Eddie would start to do his tapping, he would turn around and face the amp. Mm-hmm. And he always wondered why. And, and he asked Eddie that one time. And Eddie said, because I don't want anybody to steal this from me before we can make a record. Yeah, that's so, the way it was back then. You know, that's a... I don't know if it's urban legend or if that's the actual truth. You know, there's, it's, I like hearing those old tapes of, of Van Halen and they sounded yeah. like shit like everybody else yeah. did. But you could definitely hear. You could tell there was something. You, there was something, something there. There was something different. And it, that was, there was nothing like, you know, his tone and his chops. There was nothing like that at the time. But you're right, man. The, the mystique thing is like, I never wanted Kiss to take their makeup off. No. Cause no. now it's like, oh. Well, that's the other thing I think I, I, I latched on to early, and I was like, I was, 
a, a lashing onto the showbiz aspect of guitar playing. Yeah. You know, because there's so many guitar players that are just, you know, they're... Stand they, they, there and stare at their toes. They're not aware of that. You know? Yeah. They're, they're boring and because of it. They just you stand know? and stare at their toes. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, you know, I think to be successful as a guitar player, especially a touring guitar player, you, you've got to look comfortable on stage. Yeah. And, um, but I was always, and I believe because I was aware of that, I was lucky enough to work with people that were a little bit older and better than I was. Right. And that was a, you know, a gift I didn't know I got, you know, until later on in life. But sure. It was, I think that really helps, helps out, you know, in the early stages of, of, you know, doing what we do. Yeah. You were also in a band that not everybody knows about, uh, called Ruckus. <laughs> <laughs> Ruckus. You have a, uh, a cousin, I believe in the yeah. movie business. Yes. Would you like to share? Well, hey, yeah, we can talk about him for a minute. And uh, I think I didn't mention this before. My um, well, Cameron Crow is my first cousin, my dad's brother's son. Yeah. And when I was 14, I believe, uh, Uncle Jim, Cameron's father, uh, came, came to visit and... Uh, and he had some albums. Cameron had sent me and some because al- we had met like three, you know, when I was eleven and he was thirteen. And, and uh, both, uh, I remember talking to him about Credence and and basically all the FM, you know, Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey about Wings. I think was popular oh, yeah. at the time. You know, I remember us singing that song and Kibben sitting at the dinner table. But he sent. Through Uncle Jim, he sent me some albums and some Rolling Stone magazines, Mm -hmm. and you know that he was listed as a writer on. And it dawned on me that uh, my cousin was was on the road with rock stars, you know, with the Who, the Led Zeppelin, the Led Zeppelin, the the Leonard Skinner, and the Peter Frampton. Uh, (laughs) Well, he, he was on. He was. Right, he was. He would go out on tour with with the Eagles and you know all these amazing, larger than life. Talk about Mystique. Those yeah. bands in the seventies. You know, the only time you could see them would be to go see a concert. Absolutely. Maybe. On and if you missed them, it might be two years. So there's serious Mystique back then. Yeah. But I was. It blew my mind that my cousin was was out on the road with these famous people and and and, and these bands that I loved. So uh, that was an inspiration for me to get good because, you know, when you're 16 or 17, um, you can, you know, you can be stupid enough to think, it says, well, as soon as I get good enough, I'll just call up Cousin Cam and right. he will fly me out to show business. <laughs> <laughs> First class. And I also will have yeah. made it. And then he starts dating Nancy Wilson from Heart in the, in the early 80s. And that's another, you know, I had her poster on my wall. I was yeah, like, man. oh, God. <laughs> so, so, so Cameron is winning big time. I mean, yes. Then he starts, you know, cranking out these great movies. But, but he was a big inspiration just because it just seemed more possible to do because sure. he was doing, you know. And plus, I wasn't, you know, I, I just wanted to be working entertainment, yeah. show business. I was good at guitar. I figured that might be my ticket, but I would, I wasn't. Uh, I, I was also. Um, doing production for other bands or 
delivering pianos or, you know, working for music stores and stuff. I was wanted to be, I was part of the, you know, I was going to work in some part of the business. Yeah. That's the way my mindset was. But, so anyway, about ruckus, Cameron finally <laughs> uh, called me, one, he called me and said, hey, how's your slide playing? I went, it's great. You know, and, uh, <laughs> She was like, buy a slide. And, and it was a lie, because I was I had not been playing, you know. I, if I played slide, it was going to be on a track, and I'd be sitting down, and it would be precise. And, and you could do I, it I 400 times. Yeah, I couldn't get up. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stand up, up on stage with confidence, my legs spread in a rock pose, and just whip out Statesboro Blues or anything like that. <laughs> But he goes, here's what we're, I'm doing a movie and there's this big memorial service where uh, a rock band is playing and um, the song is Freebird and I want you to learn it, not the live version, I want you to learn the the hallowed studio version. Okay. Note for note. And I'm going to put you with this band called My Morning Jacket. And and then the actor was uh, Paul Schneider. You might remember him from Parks and Rec, but he was the he was the drummer in the band, and yep. uh, but the rest of us were you know bona fide musicians. So uh, it was this it was this film called Elizabeth Town. I love and, that movie. Yeah, thanks. And <laughs> it had Kirsten, my co-stars Kirsten Dunst and uh, Orlando Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> we're in that movie as well. And, uh, <laughs> Smaller print on the posters, of course. Yeah, and this was again. This was around the time uh, uh, <laughs> my mom. I swear, she said the funniest thing when I was burnt and getting ready to leave, and she goes, "You're just overstimulated." <laughs> <laughs> I'm overshowbized. No, I, this was around. This was a sweet part of my you know pocket of time where I was just being wildly successful in the music business, and uh, I had a gig with the big, one of the biggest acts in the world. And I was getting cuts right and left. And now I'm in Cameron's movie. Yeah. Ironically playing Freebird because I learned how to play guitar, you know, with all those Thunder Rock records. Dude, absolutely. One more from the road. I didn't learn the slide part until Cameron mandated that I play the slide part. But but I I immediately got on it and and woodshedded. And uh, I remember I called my good friend, uh, Tim tuning to come over. I just bought some V drums, some electronic drums, oh, yeah. and um, had him basically lay down a drum track for Freebird. You know, just play along with the record or whatever. And he and then I'd put a bass. So I would I would use that as my template. I would record it. I'd practice with it. But we uh, he put us in the studio at Ocean Way here in Nashville to. Uh, to cut Freebird, so it was me and my morning jacket and uh, Paul Schneider, the drummer. We we cut Freebird note for note, and um, and I got to got be in a big Hollywood film. And during that scene, if you remember, um, a, 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 a bird, a big bird, gets flown across the ceiling, like one of those paper mache type of oh, deals. Oh yeah, man. It was supposed to be a, you know a, a climactic moment in the song. Well, the bird catches fire from the lights, <laughs> and then the sprinklers come on. So we shoot that thing over and over again, and we get drenched, and and um, we finally wrap, and we go. I, we're in these trailers outside of the soundstage, 
and someone had broken in my trailer and stole everything. Oh, and that's I had, right. Had a seventeen-inch MacBook Pro mm. and a video camera. It was about after I added everything up: I, clothes, luggage, cameras, phones. You know, just the whole thing. It was about six thousand dollars worth Ugh. of stuff. Welcome and to showbiz. I, yeah, <laughs> and I, I, and this was two years after nine eleven, so things were still really tight at the airport. And uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a driver's license. You didn't have license. an ID, yeah. And I'm in the middle of Brooks and Dunn tours. They're flying me, you know, on, we're on days off. They're flying me from wherever Brooks and Dunn's playing to L.A. to shoot and then flying me back. Well, this time I needed to get to Phoenix, but I couldn't, I didn't have a driver's license. So, uh, couldn't rent a car. Couldn't rent a car. So uh, they dispatched one of Tom Cruise's uh, G5s or whatever, and uh, I think, it basically cost $13,000 to fly me to Phoenix. <laughs> My dad says, the reason Cameron's movie flopped is because you put it over budget. <laughs> and what you didn't know is there was a one-way camera that Tom was watching to make sure you read a Scientology book yeah. while on yeah. the airplane. But Tom, see, Tom was the... Um, uh, Executive producer or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. His, uh, his company. So that's, yeah, that was the... That was my ruckus experience. We yes. Got, we hope to have a reunion soon. I hope so. Yeah. I, maybe I'll tech for you. Yeah. Well, I know, I know we're, we're getting long in the tooth here, but real quick, you're, you're back. Brooks and Dunn and Reba are doing residency. You said now you're in the third year? Yeah. Um, out in Vegas? That's got to be kind it's of... It's kind of the... It's been, a, it's been a strange three or four years. Um, I, you know, when I left Brooks and Dunn, in 2006 and had and failed miserably as a as a songwriter (laughs) (laughs) uh i started i had to go back to work and i started taking i went um i took a gig with the baby act uh david nail i put his first band together and when i did eight shows and then the next year uh and his single flop so they took him off the road and put him back in the studio and between the uh then I went to work for Colin Ray, went yeah. to Ireland with him, and and went to work with Chris Cagle for a while. And for the next three or four years, I was you know back on the road, but not at, at the you know at the level the, you were the level to. you know the, the you know I was spoiled for twelve. I mean, I went from a baby act for year or two in a baby act right to first class all the way. Yeah, you know, and and then when you Take a step backwards. It's yeah, it hurts a little bit, but but I did that for three or four years and was and great great entertainers and singers and, and yeah. acts and catalog of music. But you know these acts are still you know doing afternoon slots and fairs and festivals and they're doing still doing um, strip mall honky yeah. tonks and Billy Bob's and Billy Bob's is cool though. Um. But it was it definitely it was it kind of bummed me out at times because I was not at the level that I used to be. At. Yeah, and uh, you know nothing against the artists that I was working for, but it was just you know it was a quality of life thing. And then Kicks calls me one day and says, "Hey, this is after they broke up." Yeah, <clears throat> he says, "I've got a solo thing I want to take out on the road," and he says, "You into it?" I went, "Yes," and. um 
And so I went out with kicks, and you know, and he's playing, you know, the sky kicks. Yeah. <laughs> Only he's got four. But the quality of life is in the hang is, yeah. is a lot more, more, more like home. Yeah. You know, and, and it felt good to you know. And plus, it was kind of weird when I left the first time. I was, uh, you know, I, you know, I didn't storm off or anything, but it was I'd had enough, and and uh, and um, I would I, I regret the way I left a little bit. Mm. Uh, I wish I would have. If I could have done it over again, if I could do it over again, I would have handled it a little bit better. But it was good that, you know, I hadn't talked to Kicks in like five years, six years. And um, so it felt, you know, it made my heart feel good when he Shoot called. Yeah, man. So we went out for two years and, and then he um, he said, I can't compete with these young guys. I said, I'm going to take this off the road for now and concentrate on them. He was doing movies and doing his radio show and. Yeah, the countdown's great. Yeah, so that was my first experience with what we call the Nashville Christmas present. <laughs> Is at the end of the year you get you know right before at the most joyful time of the year yes. you get the call that because uh, your services are no longer. <laughs> <laughs> but Merry Christmas. So 2013, uh, <laughs> no 2000. So, so I played with Kicks 2012 and 2013. In 2014, I was unemployed. You know, and 54 years old. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I started, um, I started, well, I need to broaden my scope a little bit. And I started, I called Sound Image, and I said, you know, can you put me to work? You know, I'll, I'll do production. And I started putting feelers out to do production work, you know, guitar tech or whatever. And I had some, I, thankfully, I'd made some friends in the, you know, in, in video and in audio and lighting and, and, uh, and, knew a few people to call and one of the people one of the guys i called was john breslin who at the time was um working for uh just mike picking up my stomach i think it was yeah good adds character (laughs) so john at the time was video director for uh miranda lambert and um and i i just put in a call or a, a text or something to him around february and uh he said, "Yeah, I keep my I keep my ears open. You know, it's basically what happens when you put the feelers out is you get a lot of these those replies yeah. back. I'll keep my ears open. So, uh, I guess it was it was June. Um, John said, "Hey, Miranda needs a guitar tech. Are you interested?" And I said, "Yes." And um, and I went down and uh, ran the show a couple of times and met Scotty Ray and um, and got the gig and. I'm still with her and, and love it. She's, it's another thing I learned. Um, man, if you can be around the right people in in the right situation, you know, I mean, there's, she's got such a really cool vibe out there with her. She's got great music and she treats her people. Well, the food, the catering is incredible. I think that's really what it's all boils down to. It's catering. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, the only reason I go, I leave the house anymore is for, is to get fed and applause because I do not get either. <laughs> I do not get either at the, at, home. at the house. You know, Kim's awesome. She's a great mother, but she does not have any interest in cooking. I got a wife uh, like that, and I myself. do not get any applause yeah, from no. uh, from. Look at I mowed the yard. My two right. asshole children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kids were kidding, but I really—I I mean, I, 
I hadn't been with her a year and I was just like, man, this is, um, this is the way you roll. You know, yeah. you, you, after the show, she's got that airstream yep. all tricked out and she's got a Dean's, you know, not even more at the time. And it was really cool. She had a Dean's crate full of all these classic rock albums, country albums, and nobody rolled until 2 a.m. until the crew, you know, yeah. everybody could, you know, chill out and have a beer, have, you know, have a shot and you know, do their thing. It's just, it's just a great hang with some really good people and great music and I love her organization and uh, I guess a year into let's see the following year uh, Brooks and Dunn announced that they were going to get together with Reba and, and do a residency in Las Vegas yeah. and I even sent kicks an email I said you know I'm interested in being in the band if that's a possibility. You just put throwing that out there. And he goes, he says, noted, basically. Yeah. And ACMs uh, come up. They're going to do it in Dallas Stadium. And you need to, you need to stop? Nope. Okay. Uh, I'm taking for Miranda, and I get a call that Brooks and Dunn's going to do a special appearance and do My Maria, and they want me to play. You know, so. I think that's. I think I'm the only, only guy that's teched for one superstar and then you know got on stage and played for for another. <laughs> on the same night. On the same night. Yes. So that that was that was a, a really special thing to do. You know, because I was like I, I, I just figured my playing career was over. Yeah. I'm a tech now. You know. Have you like some of those bus drivers that like, yeah, I played with Mo Bandy back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I turned into one of those dudes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're the guy everybody yeah. gets on the floor when you tell the I remember yeah. stories. So anyway, I'll wrap this up. Uh, we do the, we do the thing, and it's 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 great. And and, and Miranda, uh, oh, kicks calls me on the bus, and and a few others uh, that were part of that skeleton crew band that played that night, and said. We had a powwow with Narvel and Reba, and uh, says we're picking you and Travis Howard and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Stewart Jimmy Stewart and uh, Trey Gray from the you know to be a part of this, yeah. you know, along with Reba's band, right? And then next thing I do, I run into Miranda. And she goes, "Am I losing you to Vegas?" And I went, eh, "I'd like to do both." And I said, "I think." I think I could sub this thing out, you know, if it's not, you know, I, I think it could work together. I, I really like to stay here. And, uh, and she goes, all right, well, let's, let's try and make it work. Got a little shaky there a couple of times and, yeah. you know, and I, I, um, I'm just really grateful to her for, for letting me do both. Cause I really, not only do I need both gigs, you know, it, the Vegas gig is, is good, but you know, I, it's, um, Pay wise, I, I you know I need both yeah. gigs to to do what I want to do to cover my net, as they say. So uh, in Vegas, are, everybody uses one band, correct? Mm-hmm. And you do what, like twenty five songs combined? Or it's two hours, something two, like it. Yeah, it's, it's just a it's just hit after hit after hit. Is it fun being able to <laughs> sleep in the same bed every night and still get to go play to a big room like I'm, that? I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm I'm even getting a chance to continue to do this at this you know That's stage awesome. of the game. It's just um, you got your own coffee maker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I had to take my Curry. I had to buy a Curry at the Target. Yes, sir. Uh, it was next to the Leonard Skinner album. Vegas has been, uh, I mean, we used to play there just once a year at the end yeah. of the year. And we would stay at the Hilton or Caesars or, or Caesars. But we would stay on the property. Yeah. And those rooms aren't really, you know, I mean, they're nice, but they're, they're okay. not made to keep you. You know, they want you on the casino floor. Yeah. So what we've got set up in Vegas is uh, there's a there's a cl- there's a hotel called the Platinum, and it's a non casino it's a non casino hotel, and it's a mile from Caesars, and very walkable, and um, and they're all the units are like nine hundred to a thousand square oh, feet, man. and they've got a kitchen, they got a washer and dryer, and separate bedroom, king bed. And then it's a living area with a couch and you know, flat screen. Usually got a got a great view of the mountains on yeah. one end or a great view of the strip on the other, whatever. Um, they got it's a nice restaurant. They got a nice fitness center. And it's almost like a vacation going out there. Yeah. Because we go for two weeks and we only play six shows. Like, so, we, so we may have three days off or two days off here. Oh, man. And, um, and, We'll do everything. I mean, a lot of those guys in Reba's bands are session guys, and they just bring their studios. Or right. They set up their portable studios sure. in their room, and they they do work. Um, and I've done the same thing. I don't. I'm not. I mean, they get paid. I, I, I do. I set up my stuff to just mess around with and and do stuff for me. But it's it's a great way to you know to to focus and get some stuff done because you don't have distractions of home. Absolutely. And. Um, and then, or we might just, uh, the last time we went, we went to a, a skeet shooting range, you know, oh, and yeah. had a blast, you know, there's, there's all kinds of Vegas. I think the, the, here in the last few years, a lot of the stank of Vegas is, you know, yeah. it's, it's really, I mean, you don't have to go out there to gamble. You know, right. there's a lot of cool stuff to do and you, know, you can rent a car and in 20 minutes, you can, you know, be in some of the most beautiful oh, dude. Uh, yeah. areas of the country. Yeah. But yeah, Vegas has been it's it's been a really you know uh, nice gift in my what I call my second act. <laughs> Absolutely, man, second bite of the apple. Yeah. So is that where the uh, the seed of the Waymore Johnson band was planted? <laughs> Which is really I, cool, by well, the way. I've been you. listening to it all morning here. Well, I'm at the. I just found out Ronnie's Ronnie Dunn's cutting. Uh, uh, an album of of all covers. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I think that's what you do when you get old. And you say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna re- do a really good job with all these songs I love before I die. And he's still <laughs> singing great. So it's well, like yeah, before- and it's I, I gotten I once I got my you know employment situation settled down because it's I mean when you're when you're uh, gasping for a gig, you know. It's hard to be creative yeah. or to do anything artistic. Oh, or, it's, it's hard to to get inspired to sit down and write a song or even try to learn a song. Yeah, and and I, I think I, I actually spent more time doing that after I left Brooks and Dunn than, than doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, which was you know get you know advanced in my songwriting and and uh, and it didn't work out that way. And then all uh, you just the things that life throw you, you just end up, uh, 
having to do, you know, having to make compromises and having to, you know, spin plates, you know, just, to, and you went through that too. We've talked yep. about it, you know, yeah. just to, like you, you stay in a profession long enough, you're going to hit a pocket where it just sucks, yeah. you know, and you're, you don't know whether you're going to be staying in. So well, do I need to, do I need to give this up and go get a, you know, learn another trade yeah. or, you know, that's. Dude, I thought about that a bunch yeah, of times. But that's a big calorie yeah. burner. And, Absolutely. and then once, but you know, again, once I got, Settled in with Miranda and settled in with this Vegas thing. Um, I got to, you know, I got to, I got really excited because, man, I'm playing with some of the best players in the business. You know, Lonnie Absolutely. Wilson was out with us playing drums and he played on all that Brooks and Dunn stuff. And Mark Hill's on bass and he's, you know, he played on all Montgomery Gentry's records and, you know, you know, can't, uh, a bunch of, of other hit records. You know, these just, these guys are pros and, uh, and I've, become friends with them uh, in the last two or three years and they both have studios in their house and i just yeah. said i said man I'm, i had some i had made some covers you know of just um um i programmed the drums through drums on demand and it sounded good but i wanted i wanted a consistent rhythm section on these songs that i've been working on i yeah. have about four of them I did Down Payment Blues by ACDC. I did Cover of Seminole Wind by John Anderson. Which is really cool. Uh, thank you. And I did um, Charlie Daniels, South's Going to Do It Again. And I was just kind of returning to, I, I started dude, learning and cutting all these songs that inspired me as a very young man. Dude, you the know? Pat Travers, man, is yeah. awesome. Pat, Pat and Travers. And, and Chinatown's Thin Lizzy, right? Yeah. yeah. I played that in my first band, Tangent, you know, or my first band that actually traveled and worked. I just thought your your choices of songs were really cool. It's like some oh. of them were, to me, knowing you for a long time, <laughs> were pretty obvious. Yeah. And some of them were, I was scratching my head going like, yeah. like that is really cool. That's yeah, cool. and I wanted it to be, and I've been, you know, Yelling at the radio because of the lack of guitar solo. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I even got more pissed when I heard that, well, I think radio basically sent a letter to the music industry saying, less guitar solos, we need that time for yeah. ads. Yep. And I was like, that that just, you know, that's a hate crime yeah. to me. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I said, well, I'm going to use my new connections with uh, this great rhythm section, Lonnie Wilson and Mark Hill. Because I'm going to lay down, you know, the best drums and bass that you could possibly lay down, in the, especially in my at this point in my career, they're the best I've ever yeah. heard, you know, or played with. You know, uh, Greg Morrow, Greg too. Morrow, yep, Trey Gray too, but he wasn't available. He's in Indiana. He's still giving me shit about not using him. <laughs> yeah, so he said, I, "Hey, I uh, asked, uh, yeah. I asked." Um, and, play, and he, <clears throat> yeah, if he was says, Lonnie's five minutes from my house. Yeah, says, give me a break. And Gre- did Greg play on ZZ Top? He, he played on uh, Chinatown okay. and uh, the Pat Travers because he yeah. plays on the ZZ Top records. So. Yeah, and he plays on. Uh, he's out with Bob Seger. Oh, is he? Yeah, but he uh, did that whole band is Nashville guys now. Or yeah, Seger's band or half of them. Um, Kevin McKendry, uh, he's been. He's been Kix's keyboard player and Brooks and Dunn's uh, keyboard player here for the one-offs. He's 14 years with Delbert McClinton. He's been playing for the last half dozen years with Brian Setzer's orchestra. Just a monster player and and a producer. He he just produced John Hyatt's new record. Um, He was the keyboard player on it. And Mike Kyle, who's out with us, uh, great keyboard player as well. So I have these fantastic musicians. And Lonnie's got... 
he's turned into quite a, a, a great mixer and engineer, yeah. you know, and, and he's been a really good buddy cheering me on about this. And I, I normally don't sing. I had to basically learn how to sing a little bit more than, I mean, I had to, I've been working on this for two or three years and it's been a real good, uh, vehicle for me to, to, to push myself to become a better singer and a better guitar player. Cause you know, I was like, man, some of these, some of these songs I had to put away for a couple of months and go back to them. Cause I yeah. was like, ah, this ain't working. But I, I think, I think I've done the, these 12 songs that I put out, um, under the Waymore Johnson band, uh, it's, it's the best I can do at the moment. Lonnie says, you don't, says you're never finished. You just give up. It <laughs> <laughs> was great. It's that, it's that redneck. I think it's the redneck way of saying art is never finished. It's abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, Waymore Johnson, uh, uh, Waymore was Waylon Jennings nickname. I worked and, with Waylon on Waymore's blues part. Yeah. Too. And, yep. uh, and the joke is, it's just, man, this, these songs could use way more Johnson on it, <laughs> you know. And I liked, I always liked those Southern rock bands like the Marshall Tucker Band and um, Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchet, where nobody in the band was named after the right. band name. Yeah. You know. It wasn't and, the Charlie Crow Project yeah. or something. Yeah. And I wanted something kind of fun. And uh, I told uh, Tony Hammonds, he's the drummer, he was the drummer for Montgomery Gentry for a million years. And, but he's also a really good graphic artist. And uh, I just sent him a text. I said, uh, I sent him a picture of the Marshall Tucker Band logo. And I said, can you make the Waymore Johnson Band logo look kind of like yeah. this? And then I sent him a picture of the the Firebird that yeah. Kicks gave me you know, 20 years ago. And I said, can you blend this in? So, And he's already done you know T-shirt mock-ups and everything. So... We're just really, you know, I'm just really having fun with it. You know, yeah, something man. something happens with it. You know, if I could gig with it, that'd be cool. But the main thing I wanted to do was just do it and yeah. get it finished and get it up on all these platforms yeah. that you're supposed to be on Spotify, iTunes. I mean, that's, I to it that's a YouTube. daunting task. And it's in, and just, but you, if you want to get your stuff out there, you've got to do it. Yeah. And, um, and I haven't had anything out there since that project I did in 96 that I sold through Carvin. You know, I need to put that back up, you know, because um, I can. Yeah. There's companies now that'll just do all that for you. You just upload it and pay them, and it's not a lot of money, really, but they take care of all the bullshit. And, right. And, uh, you just sit at home, kick your feet up, and wait for the checks. No, I'm not waiting for any checks, <laughs> you know. Shoot. I listen to I'm, it on YouTube. <laughs> No, you can't make money in the music business anymore no. unless you've got a great T-shirt or your great live act. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, we're going to do the last thing. All right, it's my ten questions. I just I don't want you to. This is going to be. I don't want you to think. I uh-huh. just want you to react. Uh huh. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. Shit. Um, Toonsmith by Jimmy Webb. I, that, yeah. I read that when I read that there was a part in that book that either was coincidence or it really helped me but he think he honestly believes that if each line doesn't perfectly rhyme that your subconscious is offended <laughs> <laughs> my like when you know like, what a tangled Jimmy Webb we yeah. weave like if you if you rhyme rust with truck you know, that's a near rhyme right but you know Jimmy's really you know, he, he was banging the drum about every line has to be 
every rhyme has to be perfect. There's also a lot of big songs that rhymed car with car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. That, I, that when I sat down to write C. Jane Dance, uh, I took that as a, you know, so I'm going to make every line rhyme perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was my first cut. So I think about that book a lot, you know, when, you know, when I, when I think about when I was able to, you know, to finally get a, a something I wrote on, yeah. a, on a major label record. Hmm. So Cool. What's your favorite food? Oh man, so much. Um, Anything on the Miranda tour? <laughs> <laughs> man, I love chicken and dumplings. There you go. Yeah. What's your favorite quote? Oh, God. Let me think about that. I I can't react to that one. What's the first concert you ever saw, and how old were you? Oh, I guess technically probably Kenny Rogers in the first edition at at the Bluegrass Fair, uh, maybe 10, 11. Nice. Yeah. Okay, doesn't even have to be a cut or anything, but what's the favorite song that you ever wrote? Um, there's a song I wrote with Gil Grant called uh, Beyond the Neon. That's probably one of the, my favorites as far as... We wrote it after... I came to to the session with the idea uh, after watching Crazy Heart, mm-hmm. that Jeff Bridges movie. Yeah. It was basically a, you know, a song about that guy. Yeah, you know? and, uh, it was a great movie. And I thought, I thought Gil and I did a good job on that. George Strait, not so much. Yeah. Got yeah. to it. What's that one you and I wrote that uh, that rock and is it Think or Drink? Drink or Swim. Drink or Swim. Mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. song. What uh what song out there do you wish that you had written? Uh I always go to Heart of the Matter by Don Henley. Yeah. But I tell you what, Miranda's uh automatic is a close second. The song yeah. she's got out that her, she wrote that with uh, oh god I can't remember her names but two other girls yeah but, I can't remember they, they nailed that yeah 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 who who like not saying like Paul McCartney or Sting but who would who out there would you still like to write with that you think you could get to or whatever. Man, there's too many. I'd still like to ride with Steve Earle, Chris Christopherson, uh, DePiro, Steele, you know, Wiseman, you know, all those guys. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I kind of, I, that's another thing I regret. I think I, I wish I could have, you know, sometimes you got to push, push your way a little bit harder to get to those guys. And I didn't do that. Yeah. I think if I'd put a little bit more, burn a few more calories in, in, trying to get into the room with those guys. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had a chance to write with DePiro a couple of times. And I just never did follow up on it. Yeah. You know, and, um, but yeah, cool. those guys, if you weren't writing and playing, what would you be doing? Uh, either I'd either, uh, be running, a, a restaurant bar music venue. I've always wanted to do that. Or I've always liked the idea of doing it. Mm-hmm. I might hate. I might hate it when I get in the middle of sure. it. But I've always wanted to do that. Or, or I've always wanted to uh, to ride on a, a successful comedy show. You know, that's I've always. Me too. It's always uh, 
you know, those two things, those two things fascinate me, you know. What if you could write on a comedy show about running a restaurant bar music venue? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's next. You could just die a heavy man. Well, that's my last question. Is what's next? I mean, more man, of the same? I, just how many know, dates you guys doing with uh, Miranda this year? Right now, I've got a pretty good balance of her and the Vegas thing. The Vegas thing is three to four two week stands. Yeah, in Vegas, scattered throughout the year, and she. Um, I don't think she's going to do it this year, but the last three years she's done winter tours and then the usual suspects during the summer and, sure. and gone overseas a couple of times in the fall. So I'm just trying, I know what it's, I've been gainfully employed again for the last uh, four years. And before that I was, Game, not, I was unemployed pretty much. I was yeah. just non gainfully unemployed. Yeah, I was just. I mean, I worked and I made some money, but it wasn't consistent. It was yeah, a lot of it was a lot of feast or famine periods. So, and I like I'd, I'd like to keep this kind of consistency going, and and hopefully I'm plugged in enough, you know, with uh, with Reba and Brooks and Dunn's deal. You know, and Miranda's deal, where I can, where I can stay busy and can you know, and 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 take care of those expensive children I have. <laughs> <laughs> would Would Brooks and Dunn Reba ever tour that show, or is it, or is this Who what knows? it's going to be? I think their deal, their deal is they can play their their own shows, as right. long, You know, as long as it's east of the Mississippi. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because they they want to keep make it special. Yeah, make it special. Yeah, keep absolutely. The, keep the Vegas thing a destination. Sure. Know. And not having it compete, you know, with anything. But Charlie Crow, you have said it all. I, I'm sure there's more to be said. I didn't say anything. And you've done most of it. <laughs> thanks for your time, man. man it's good to see you. Thanks for having me. I, th- I love what you're doing. And, and uh, shoot, I've known you for... Been a long time. I was just, I wanted to tell you, we were just at um, at that amphitheater in Tampa where I first met you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that was a... No, we knew each other before then. We did? Because sure? we wrote before then, and I was trying to think of who we wrote with, because there was a third that got us together, and we wrote at Windswept one time. I thought we did that afterwards. Maybe, but I always thought it was great. Uh, it's like, you're, you wrote, you had, uh, you can't take the honky-tonk. You, you wrote that song, and that was the second song in our set. Yeah. Or the first. I forget. No, it was the first, and then you started opening with Red Dirt Road. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so it was second. Okay, so we were we did Red Dirt Road, and uh, and I, I knew you were like fifteen rows back or something like that, balling my head off. Yeah. Folks, <laughs> <laughs> no, what was hilarious is that after we did your song, the second song of the set, you and Amy got up and left. <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> Uh, Bart's like I've I've seen enough. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see him I again. That was, the, uh, that was the, now that is a power move. Oh, right dude, that was awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. I love you, buddy. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Take my arm. Let's gamble the night away. No, man, it's good to see you, man. Thanks okay. for having me. Thanks, Charlie. See you soon.